Quentin Tarantino is really a polarizing figure in cinema. That sounds so professorial, it hurts. But I wanted to do a show on Quentin Tarantino. This is Eric, by the way. Magnificently huge podcast. Welcome. Tenth episode. I wanted to do an episode on him because I have so much to say about his work. And I'll be honest, not a lot of it is good. He's got issues. A lot of people say he has an ear for dialogue. I, I think he just writes a lot of dialogue. Usually he needs an editor to cut him down. Pulp Fiction was the kind of gonzo box office indie smash that let him do whatever he wanted, which meant no one was there to rein him in. And a lot of times he needed reining in, but we'll get to that. We'll try and do a linear crawl through his oeuvre. Uh, a lot of films in there that are really good, by the way, but I, I don't want to—I don't want to breeze over the things that are issues. Brian and Chris will be along for the ride, as they say. Uh, I'm not really sure that they've seen everything of his. I know Chris has seen the Quentin Tarantino written and directed episode of NCIS or or, or SVU or. Um, the, the thing in Las Vegas with the uh, crime cops and the, the gross blood uh, dead body show. What, what I can't remember. Anyway, he saw it. I haven't seen it. Uh, but otherwise, it's going to be a retrospective that I hope is at least fair. Because as I say, I really like a lot of his stuff. But it's about time someone called out the things that are issues. And let me also say I've been working on my mic technique since last week and the weeks before that. A lot of times I just cringe, not at the sound of my own voice, but at the quality of the recording. Sometimes I sound like I'm on the other end of a bowling alley. Uh, sometimes I sound like I'm a call-in guest on AM radio. It's just horrible, and that's because I have to set this thing up on my own and I don't know what I'm doing. But I talked to Brian. He gave me some great advice. Uh, Turn the gain down put some pantyhose over the microphone, which my wife has dutifully donated to the show. Um, and it sounds pretty good so far. So maybe when I start laughing like a hyena and asphyxiating because of something Brian or Chris have said, it won't cause a lot of popping. Anyway, here's hoping. Uh, let's, let's, let's fuck it up. So, gentlemen, we are here to discuss Quentin Tarantino and his sins against humanity. America's sweetheart, Quentin Tarantino. Yes. I'm Brian. I'm Eric. I'm Chris. And this is the Magnificently Huge Podcast. So, I, I thought it'd be good if we associated names with voices. And hopefully Eric in the intro put the, uh, the Twitter feed and the Facebook page and all that crap. No, no, I did not. I neglected that part. You but, uh, bastard. Well, maybe we should. We're tell. now on Twitter at uh, uh, Mag Huge because you can't fit magnificently huge into a Twitter handle. Mag Huge, but we are on um, we are on Facebook at magnificently huge. Yes, um, we're on Tumblr at magnificently huge. Sweet. Uh, I, we're, we're we're doing all the socials, but you know, until one of you actually messages us and tells us, you know, anything. They're just kind of sitting there. Yeah, so it's crickets. write us. Crickets, man. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then we'll uh, eventually have that web page thing up and running, too. Uh, so if, if we tweet and no one hears it, did we actually tweet? No. 
the that that's the equivalent of the Pope shitting in the woods. Mm. <laughs> Except in this case, the NSA collects every shit the Pope takes. <laughs> uh, so it's a little different. So stick that in your funny hat and smoke it. All right. Uh, and as we start every week, uh, what what piece of media did you enjoy? Because we we always seem to do what what movie or what TV yeah. show. Did you? I I have a book. Well, hang on. I've I been, think before we start this, uh, we need to work on some sort of uh, transitional bump for this. And I thought we could call it something like "This shit is fresh" or something of that nature. And then we would just plop that in. Okay, Brian is uh, is it going to be a problem to just capture what Chris just did? No, <laughs> I can. Okay, then let's. In the in let, the last podcast, I said I said this is the podcast that makes you go, "Oh my God, it's magnificently huge," but. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to stick. Well, that could be okay. a good like intro title. Obviously, we're making this up as we go. Okay, well then, hold on. Uh, hit the bumper. This shit is fresh! Okay, that... No, that's stupid. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, it's like I, dropped the, <laughs> like I dropped the call or something on the last episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. If anybody drops the call, keep rolling on your computer no matter yeah, what. The code word is Incredible Hulk. <laughs> this shit is fresh. Oh, shit. That is fresh. Can you believe it? You've been listening to this for three minutes, and you are so fucking entertained. Can you even believe it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, media, go. Uh, I've been reading, uh, uh, um, no, no, you guys go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Man. You suck. All right, I'll go. So, uh, one of the things about this podcast, there's just some production realities, right? Like, by the time this goes live, all of our media references are at least a week out of date. Uh, for, for me, we haven't recorded in two weeks, so I've got... Uh, two real quickly. I'll just say, Chris, I did see Baby Driver. Cool. Uh, yes, it was awesome. Um, I don't know why they didn't cast that guy as the young Han Solo. Uh, he looks the part. He does way more than Alden Ehrenreich. A- apparently, uh, he's got a rep of some sort. I'm, I haven't really verified it, so I don't really know if that's true. Like a difficult mm-hmm. to work with rep. Yeah, or something. I don't know. Uh. Anyway, they, I mean, they literally dressed him in like a you know a dark vest. Look, I mean, he was basically wearing Han Solo's costume <laughs> yeah, the whole yeah. movie. I'm just like, good God, this is distracting. Was, <laughs> um, but the one I should call out is I went and saw Valerian and the Shitty of a Thousand Shits uh, the other day. <laughs> I saw you had posted about that. Uh, oh my fucking yeah, God! Rarely does Brian does use the term suck? "holy balls," but uh, yeah. that did show up. I'm glad. Yeah, holy balls. Um, no, I'm glad you saw that because that's Luc Besson and his whole thing is style over substance. And I think we're going to call him into today's show a little a bit. A little bit. Because uh, Fifth I, Element uh, left a bad taste in my mouth to this day. and uh, or, or Subway. Subway, which is an almost really great film, except, yeah. you know, it got Besson'd. Wasn't the Highlander in that the, one? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Valerian, if you've seen the trailer, the trailers are just stunning, right? And and you're just like, ooh, this could be really good. Even even after reading the reviews, and the reviews are all like, look, the script sucks ass. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I'll go and I'll look at some pretty pixels. And even that, like the staging of the action sequences doesn't work. The music doesn't provide any emotional context. There's a sequence, I really don't care if I ruin any piece of this movie for anybody, because no one should see it. 
um, there's a sequence where Valerian puts on like the speed running suit from the first G.I. Joe movie, but he can crash <laughs> through walls in it. And they've established the space station Man. has like different atmospheres. There's like a liquid area where all the creatures that live in liquids live, and there's a gaseous area, and there's like Earth area. And he's just busting through walls and he's running through each of these areas. And at no point does like the water spill through the hole that he's just created in the wall, or you know, like he just asphyxiated everyone and depressurized the whole space station. <laughs> That's in the director's cut. No. Nothing, nothing. You know, and I'm, it's very distracting to watch something like that. Yeah, it struck me as a that it, that it seemed very uh, like Jupiter ascending or John Carter. Oh no, no, I would, yeah. I will, that was I will what watch I Jupiter thought. ascending again before this. Oh, this has better yeah. visuals than Jupiter ascending, but it is that fucking bad. Like Dane DeHaan is just a dick. It, Valerian, the character as written, is a dick. He has you. You could not like this guy any less. The the girl he's with is played by Cara Delvigny, or however you pronounce her name. She was the Enchantress in Suicide Squad. So at this point, she is like the kiss of death. If she is in a movie, so that's, don't go so see So that's it. two of her movies that I haven't seen. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, don't see them. She, no. I won't. It's, she's, she's also unlikable. <laughs> the... the They have no chemistry, but they're, all of their dialogue is supposed to be banter, and it just lands with a clanging thud every <laughs> single line. So is it like uh, and like in Fifth Element when when the everybody likes to repeat multipass like it's some big thing uh and it's just flat? I would watch Fifth Element again. Um no, this this Fifth is so element much worse was good. than all of that. <laughs> Fuck and you, there's it was also not. this really retrograde <laughs> misogyny. Um like he complains about her driving. Uh there's there's a scene towards the end of the movie where They've realized what needs to be done, and these people have been wronged, and they need their thing back. And and she's in possession of their thing, but she won't give it to them unless she gets his permission. (laughs) And there's absolutely no character reason for this at all, other than, I guess it was based on comics written long enough ago that that's how the source material was. I'll I'll, I'll guess that might, might be it, but it just... It so fucking doesn't work. And they have a scene where Rihanna dresses in literally every conceivable horror fantasy stereotypical horror fantasy costume while pole dancing and somehow manages to not be sexy <laughs> fuck this movie don't go see it eat a dick valerian in the city of a thousand planets yeah i think girls night out is gonna crush it is my feeling <laughs> so uh, so that's no stars from brian negative stars from what it sounds like for valerian yeah. don't I, as i said on facebook don't even hate watch it like it's it's not even so bad. It's good, funny stuff. It's just you know, it's funny. I boring. saw that preview and I went, "Oh God, are you kidding? No, no." They're trying to do Luke Besson. Oh, it's Luke Besson. Oh, maybe I'll go see it. Maybe it's supposed to be the most expensive European production in history. Yeah. Well, put uh, that in your cap. There we, there we have it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing, Brian, and we appreciate you falling on that grenade for the whole humanity. <laughs> Uh, need better movie. <laughs> uh, well, all right, Eric. You want to uh, tell us about what book you almost read, and then no, I I'm reading still. It's uh, uh, Fallen Founder. It's about Aaron Burr, and he's my historical hero because this is this this guy everyone hates in history because he's the one who killed Hamilton. But Hamilton was a bitch. 
I just never understood the the love of Alexander Hamilton in history. He didn't run for anything. He didn't uh, do anything except kiss Washington's ass and end up his uh, Secretary of Treasury. Um, he talked a lot of shit in letters and and publications about what an evil guy Aaron Burr was, and Aaron Burr finally just had enough and killed him. Um, yeah, I, I, Aaron Burr's been treated really harshly in history for a lot of reasons. Like he wanted to go out west and uh, conquer Mexico. Well. That's debatable, but of course, we actually did end up going west and conquering Mexico. Ryerson lives there now. <laughs> uh, it's it's not something that's completely out of you know character with the young United States. It's just that he didn't have the same kind of PR that Washington had or Jefferson. Well, well put this had. in perspective for me: uh, Who played Aaron Burr in 1776? Was he in 70? I don't know. That's why I want to know. I don't. I don't think he was because he was off fighting the goddamn war. <laughs> he was a war hero. That's another thing. He was one of the most famous soldiers of the Revolutionary War. But everybody forgets it because he was vilified for killing Hamilton. Oh. He was, oh, he was that, one of Washington's generals. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he is the um, protagonist, no, sorry, the antagonist of, in the Hamilton musical. Uh, and he gets, I don't know. I, I I guess I've never seen Burr treated right. Uh, I think I think if people were more familiar with that story, they'd probably have more respect for him. But um, a so what's the name of the book again? Fallen Founder. Who's the author? Uh, I don't know. Well, that's that's helpful. Does it have a blue know. cover? I should has a picture of him, but you don't know what he looks like, <laughs> okay. so it don't matter. Uh, it might see. be a picture Maybe. of him. It's uh, Fallen Founder. By Nancy Eisenberg. Okay. Ask for it by name, kids. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that's what I'm doing. Cool. Oh, and and I think either tonight or tomorrow I'm going to see Dunkirk. Yeah, I'm going to... Because I am still a Nolan fan. I am still in his corner. I'm, I'm rooting for it. I'm probably going to go see it tomorrow if I can. Uh, yeah. It's been getting really solid reviews, but it's one of those where I have to be in the right mood to go see it. Kind of yeah. deals oh, for me. I'm always in the mood for war. That's me. Yeah, and I just I just hope it's 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 better than Interstellar because oh god that yeah, had yeah. a lot of promise and that was just I mean that one I just remember sinking in my seat going you're not even trying dude you are not even yeah, trying I watched it and, and all I could think of was the uh, the movie Contact was way better yeah I'm like so yeah and so that's McConaughey again doing pretty much the same type of movie but Contact was so much better yeah. So. It was it was it was it was fun with effects. I get that it was pretty, but uh, oh yeah! And then when when the movie at one point sort of broke into the theater next door and started playing The Martian with uh, Matt Damon, I thought that was really weird. Uh, I don't know how they do things up in Portland, sir, but that's dumb. <laughs> uh, well, all right. Okay, well we're not we're not here to speak oh, wait, ill of we Interstellars. Get, no. Chris's, Chris's Chris, media? Chris has to share. Uh, I didn't really watch anything of note. Uh, I pretty much just... Did you not know we were recording today? Did you not know we were recording today? Had, you didn't watch two anything. Two weeks. Uh, I said nothing Nothing <laughs> of note. I mean, I watched Hellboy like four times because it was on TNT or something. Uh, I mean, I watched... I mean, just nothing I can really recommend. I watched... Uh, 
a movie called The Drowning Pool with Paul Newman, uh, which was a sequel to a movie he did in the 60s called Harper. Uh, Harper's a really fucking... Not The Swimming Pool? No, The Drowning Pool. Okay. Uh, no, and not the drowning pool is the sequel to the swimming, not the pool. Deadpool. Um, yeah. but he, he plays a private eye called Lou Harper. Uh, and it's just, he's, he's really, really good in it. The sequel wasn't as good, but they did it like nine years later. So it was like mid seventies. It had moments. Paul Newman is really super awesome in it, but if you're going to watch anything, uh, of those two, you would want to watch Harper, uh, which came out around the same time as HUD. um, and he's just he's a really jaded jaded private eye type so that i didn't really watch much i was listening to more music this week uh i found a band called spook school uh from i think glasgow and i really enjoy them because they're sort of like imperial teen new pornographers kind of stuff but uh they they Mm. maintain their scottish accents when they sing and i fucking love that (laughs) (laughs) so that's fun so it's it's kind of jangly pop crunch fuzz fun with scottish accents uh i saw a a video on it was like some comedy bit that was on bbc where um two scottish guys get into an elevator and the elevator is now voice controlled and they get trapped in the elevator because the elevator can't understand them yeah and so they they try different accents and it, it doesn't work voice recognition technology in a lift in Scotland you ever tried voice recognition technology? no they don't do Scottish accents 11 could you please repeat that? 11 11 you need to try an American accent 11 <laughs> 11 that sounds Irish you're American what does that? where in America is that? Dublin I'm sorry could you please repeat that? yeah Oh, there's all kinds of fun. There's a there's a show called Chew the Fat from the I think I guess the late 90s, early aughts maybe. It's on Netflix, but it's a ske- it's a Scottish sketch comedy show that's just the weirdest fucking thing that you will watch. But there's one sketch where it's the Scottish family of smokers, but they all use the voice box thing. <laughs> so so it's basically a Scottish accent through the fucking voice box. It's like what the fuck is this? That's it's great. awesome. But I would urge you to watch it because it's just super weird and super uncomfortable pretty much the whole show through. That's as serious. I know. <laughs> Bye. Happy birthday, son. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Boom. On with the show. So watch that and read that and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, and now, and now, Quentin Tarantino, which uh, I wanted to talk about him mostly because I've been bagging on him hardcore for years and years, and I I don't think I've. One, I don't think I've been fair, so I don't like that. And two, I don't think I've quite gotten my point across. And so I think maybe after this, I can shut up. Well, here's the thing. Before we start, we should do a, a show of virtual hands. Uh, who who in this group having this discussion right now actually likes Quentin Tarantino? I do. I gave up on him years uh, ago. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have kind of a, a, a lukewarm relationship with his movies. Uh, honestly, I 
don't really care anymore. I've I've seen them. I haven't seen the last one, Hateful Eight, uh, because nothing about it said I needed to watch this movie. So uh, I can't speak to that one. But honestly, right. I so haven't really enjoyed it. I've been anything. out of touch with you for so long. I thought you still liked him. No. Uh, Pulp Fiction was kind of where it peaked, and then everything since has been really sort of right. uh, groan-inducing in my arena. I, I think the thing is, I started taking him... Uh, for what he is, you know, there, there are a lot of things that are wrong and there are a lot of things I still don't like and that I don't get how everyone else doesn't see. Yeah, exactly. But watching him over, watching his stuff, you know, over the years and coming back to it, it's like, I get it. If you can let go of some of these things, I get what he's doing and it's kind of interesting, but well, what, what I don't, well, let's, let's just, let's just go jump to the beginning with uh reservoir. Dogs, oh, which please let's, I, I, I think that was a great film. I, I remember seeing that and going, oh, shit. Okay, now things are different because this is right out of the 80s with some just boring, tepid action movies. I mean, the, the Joel Silver train was running at full steam. And then here comes this movie that has guns and you know yeah. criminals, but it's smart. Well, I remember when it came out, uh, what was that, 92, uh, I was in Los Angeles on a, just a visit and the LA Chronicle was pimping it hard because it had just come out. And so I had read the review and it sounded really kind of interesting. So uh, we went and saw it in this tiny little theater that was half full. Uh, and it just, I remember just being floored by it. Uh, yeah. It just, it was, it unlike anything that I had seen in recent memory, uh, at, at mm-hmm. least as far as something that was going to get a wide release. Uh, and I loved it. It was only later when you start seeing all of the, the other stuff that he caught from it, and then you kind of have to start rethinking your love of it, and then wonder right, if it's right. actually That's deserved. what I was going to get to. I was going to get to that, that he, he's somebody who does a lot of cutting and pasting. He takes what he loves, and he uses it on his own. Yeah. Uh, the, that, what I love about that movie is language as violence, where it doesn't really yeah okay the guy gets his ear cut off steve buscemi has one of the best shootouts ever on screen but the way they talk to each other and the way they play against each other is so much fun and it's harvey Keitel at the height of his power uh yeah but michael madsen <laughs> has never been better i mean it's just yeah but it's so much fun to watch actors fuck with each but you other get like the, but you get the Keitel moment and would you and you're you're fond of jay moore <laughs> but you get don't you die you're not gonna die on me <laughs> you you can't do that you don't know what he did do you and he started to bam Joel. bam 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 uh Joe, I don't know what you think you know. <laughs> okay. So you admit you don't know what you're talking about. So, if you're through giving me your amateur opinion, slide back and listen to the news. I'm taking you back to the rendezvous. Joe's going to get you a doctor. The doctor's going to fix you up. And you're going to be okay. Now say it. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Say the goddamn words, you're gonna be okay! Oh god! Say the goddamn fucking words! Uh, Say but it! But anyway, yeah, so it, it, it's it's a great film. And, and I think it's even better because you can see the lack of money that went into it. 
that you can, yeah, I think that's what started the whole indie boom, not Pulp Fiction, this, where a lot of people looked at this movie and said, oh, fuck, you mean all I need is a room, a camera, and a, a solid series of ideas? I can do that. Yeah. Well, there was, a, I mean, we kind of touched on this in the last episode, but, you know, there was a bunch of stuff happening right there at the early early 90s, right? We talked about Hollywood Shuffle. Uh, Kevin Smith was in that moment. Uh, Tarantino's in that moment. Uh, but there did seem to be this opportunity in it and a hunger for that newer, sort of more intimate, low-budget, lo-fi kind of content. I guess it coincided with, well, people like us turning 20 and having no money. Yeah, well, plus it's it's very suited to the, as as we've done, I think, previously, the VHS generation. So it's movies get yeah. a second and a third and a fourth life on videotape as people find them. Uh, whereas- yeah. Okay, that's it. We all had disposable income because we started to work. We had jobs. And so there was a there was suddenly a way to make money making this shit in the ancillary market. Yeah. So that's how it, it curls on. Mm. But the thing, that, the thing that bugs me about Reservoir Dogs now, though, uh, is just the, it, I still enjoy watching it. But when you start looking at how he lifted scenes wholesale, uh, that's what I think. And, the, and we can get into this as can we go. Can you be more specific about that? Because I don't know the, the there's, details yeah, there. It's a, a Hong Kong action movie called City on Fire. Chow Yun-Fat. And there's whole pit, bits that he pulled. The, you know the, the part where Harvey Keitel does the uh, John Woo double-fisted kill both of the cops in the car? Shot for shot, that's taken out of City yeah, on Fire. And then... I can find it, and maybe yeah. we'll post it if we ever get that and then, website. But, but cradling, uh, Harvey Cattell cradling Tim Roth as he's getting ready to kill him, and then the cops bust in, that whole sequence, the, the Mexican standoff where they all die, uh, it's, just, it's all lifted uh, almost shot for shot. Uh, and that is, that is a, a motif that you see consistently throughout pretty much all of his movies, and that's something that I, I have... to say, this is going to keep happening. Yeah, it's it? an increasingly... Uh, hard thing for me to to chew on yeah uh, i i go back and forth on my opinion of that because on one side i'm like oh that's you know make make something up on your own but on the other hand when it's uh, i mean when does homage become theft you know I, I, like all that jazz all that jazz is eight and a half it's structurally eight and a half all the characters arc like eight and a half. it's it's a tribute to eight and a half only this time instead of making a film he's making a musical uh, but it's the same thing. Yeah. And everybody knows it. Just about anybody who went to see all that jazz was, fam- at the time, familiar with, you know, the greatest Fellini film of all time. But, like, I is mean, that we've theft? Been, we've been talking about this stuff. Though. I mean, we're, we were talking about, you know, Baby Driver referencing stuff. We we're talking about how Airplane was literally a remake well, of a, of but a this movie is the dis- from the 70s. This is the distinction. The Matrix was Ghost in the Shell. But this is the distinction, you know, is that, that those have moments where they're they're taking inspiration from the movies, and they're, they're borrowing them, surely, uh, but they're still incorporating them in ways that are not uh, essentially a direct copy of the specific thing uh where where tarantino like literally will go in and do just a wholesale shot for shot it's basically it's like when gus van zandt did the psycho remake thing uh it's shot for shot and he basically got blasted out the ass for it as how what is the purpose of this it just makes no sense it's dumb and he can't get away with it but then you get someone like tarantino who essentially does the same thing 
and everybody lauds him as some sort of super genius. That's the thing that really sticks in my craw. It's like, how, how do you get to that level mm-hmm. where you're this cult leader and everybody fawns all over you, but you don't really do anything? See, you sound like me 20 years ago. So, you know, so I un- totally understand what you're saying. And so I can't believe I'm making this defense when I say I it's 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 referencing other, you know, previous works of art, you know, like to to make a statement. I I I'm not even a statement, but my belief really is that when he used that section of City on Fire, he was doing it for the benefit of the people who came to the movie who had seen City on Fire and go, "Oh, I get it." You know, it's not like he was trying to take credit for that section. He was so trying it's to not tell appropriation? people. I, I no, it's like, um, God, I'm trying to think of some. Uh, uh, oh, okay, you know oh, the David Bowie song, "Young Americans." There's a part in there towards the end when the backup singers sing, "I heard the news today, oh boy." He's not stealing from the Beatles. He's reminding you of something you felt when you heard that yeah and i don't have a problem with that like baby driver has a lot of peppered references so that's fine that's a little nugget easter egg whatever for for the film fans Um, but it's just not so much that he that he incorporates these things wholesale but it's that he does it and then basically either alternatively says yeah i steal from everything fuck you if you don't like it don't come my movie or he passes it off as his own and then later people go oh hey look you 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 stole this extra blah 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 and he's like yeah because i love it so could you build an animatic a reservoir dogs by just editing scenes from other movies you there's actually a a clip that you can find on uh on youtube that basically (laughs) shows every every similarity between reservoir dogs and city on fire and basically just edits the two together into one movie or one short movie, yeah. and and you can see the flow, and then it's and suddenly it's all of a sudden it's just like okay, yeah. I would agree because of the level of lifting that went on there. He really should have said something like either based on or yeah, yeah. I mean, in, anything it says inspired by. Well, this is it. It was like we were we were stupid, but, we, but same thing. But we yeah. had been talking earlier about the Zucker Abram Zucker and Airplane, and how they just basically lifted everything from uh, Zero Hour, but they had the sense enough to go in and actually buy the rights to that movie so that. You know, they could actually say, "Yeah, here you go. This is this is the yeah. deal." So they basically took yeah. something that existed, but they kind of twisted it in a way that made it their own. But I don't see Tarantino really doing that. It's just sort of he's, he's sort of a film historian or a curator, just sort of peppering these things in and just going, "Well, here's this and here's that." And he's like every insufferable jackass film student I have ever met at a film school who thinks that they know everything about cinema because they've seen a thousand movies. So he's not really progressing anything other than oh yeah, that movie there. And he's he's basically pushing people in that so, direction. So it's not just it's not just stealing shots or compositions or edits. It's wholesale like structure of the movie and like I'm thinking about the animatics of well Star Wars, you know, so they have those you can find the footage where George Lucas had cut together World War II movies to sort of say this is the motion i want in this shot versus this shot it's not all from the same source material it's not spatially coherent or anything but it was there to kind of communicate the pacing and the movement uh you're saying reservoir dogs isn't that it's more like we're just stealing this yeah it's literally the the end of the city on fire is the end of reservoir dogs the plot is the same yeah. and he's you know he's taking elements from like taking of pelham one two three when he's naming them the colors there's a, a movie called day of the wolves which is essentially yeah. the, the plot line where they they got the, got the crew of thieves and they're planning the thing and, and they're all known as a number uh 
So he's just taking these blanket genre elements and sort of compressing yeah. them in, but just the fact that he's lifting <laughs> compositional things without any changes at all. I mean, if he was a, if he was a novelist, if he was a musician, I mean, holy shit, there would be... He'd be, he'd be Vanilla yeah, Ice. Yeah. He'd be Ice Ice Baby or P. Diddy rapping over um, Led Zeppelin, yeah. right, for the Godzilla thing. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you went there because that's kind of what I, what I wanted to ask, really, Brian, because this is the period of music sampling. And so yeah. film is, is not like, you know, it isn't music or novels. It's, it's several different arts mushed into one. It's photography, it's music, it's dance, it's theater. It's, it's all of these different things. So pulling wholesale from another work I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, and I'm not disagreeing with you. There's, there is definitely some, um, some, some referencing that is required here. Some, yeah. So let me, let yeah, me, uh, but, let me. But this respond is, to this that, is basically though. sampling another film in a way. Okay, but it's not right. Like if I was, if I was to take shots of the, what's the other movie? I'm already forgetting. Which other movie? The, City on Fire. City on Fire. If I was to actually take real footage of City on Fire. And edit it together with different sound, or you know, to create irony or juxtaposition, and edit it with other things, or add to it in some way. You know, that would be more in keeping, I think, with what was going on in the early '90s when people weren't yet suing each other over sampling. Right? They were taking it and using it as raw material, and it wasn't really, I think, claiming it as your own so much as it was saying. Well, here is what I do alongside this thing that that already existed. I, you know, the guys from Negative Land uh, wrote extensively about this, that that kind of thinking in the letter U and the numeral two, and they're talking about how um, when we're talking about music, it's literally in the public domain. There are sound waves hitting you at all times, and if you have a receiver, you can hear it. And if I am able to grab that out of the atmosphere and use it in my art, it's valid as a medium. Uh, remaking somebody's song note for note would be more along the lines of what we're talking about here. And even, you know, even stuff like I Size Baby is, is sampling, right? Uh, hmm, I'm trying to think. Well, this is, it's, it's almost more like a cover yeah, version. Well, this is what it reminds me of is that... Uh, with Tarantino and the way he references so much shit for all of his movies, uh, it's like everything he goes out to create, if this were an album, it's he's trying to make Paul's Boutique by the Beastie Boys. Yeah, it's the Paul's Boutique or the or the Three Feet High and right. Rising. Or right. any of those, but what he ends up making is more along, to, to my viewing, is more like uh, Ice Ice Baby, where it's just this bald, here's, here's the thing, and then this is my song, and oh, look, in my song, great. It's like, no, fuck you, you ripped off Queen, you jackass. Mm-hmm. See, no, what you're not getting, though, is that Reservoir Dogs goes, da 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 Yeah, and yet Tarantino is not living in Florida fixing houses. It's boggling. Ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes, ding, 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 That little bitty change. It's not the same. Well, moving on to the next one. Uh, no, 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 not to the next halves because uh, I, we got to do a quick word on true yes, romance we do. and natural born yes. killers. Because true romance is probably the best film Quentin Tarantino didn't make. 
Yep. Uh, it's good despite the fact that Tony Scott made it, and yet again, it's saved by the cast. Yeah. And, and I think it is funny that the the filmmaker guy is almost certainly inspired by uh, Oliver Stone, who also fucked up an otherwise probably good Tarantino film which, with which uh, was which uh, was also about uh, lovers on the lamb who may or may not have killed some people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, right. So and I think I think I would like to know I guess what the original was because you can see where Oliver Stone read this screenplay and went you know what I could turn this into a great commentary on violence in media by making media that's really yeah. violent and you know self conscious and it, it's like that would have I, been a better version of what I was just describing if Oliver Stone had had appropriated other yeah. violent media and made. The same thing. Well, and here's the thing: is if yeah. we, as we get to this later, uh, there are many film critiques that actually lay that over uh, *Inglorious Bastards*. Uh, so, so okay. mull on that while we talk about uh, *True Romance*, which, which yeah. I, it's okay. Uh, I just I don't really care for it as time moves on, because in Clarence Worley, the character played by Christian Slater, I see every fiber of Quentin Tarantino aching to be that guy, and it just <laughs> it just bothers me to no end uh that that film is based on uh my it was actually going to be a different film called my friend's birthday party or something and it was the movie he was working on before pulp fiction with a bunch of buddies from acting class and so that really was about him that was like 100 percent about him just uh, and the other and the other thing that bothers me about it if if, because i i it hasn't been too long since i watched it again and Christian Slater walks around with the Elvis glasses the whole time because basically his character yeah. is batshit insane and thinks he's talking to Elvis. That's one of the little gimmicks played by Val Kilmer, but you never see Val Kilmer's <laughs> face. But that was a little I didn't yeah. Know that. So that's a little top secret wink, I think. Um, so he's got these glasses, and it and if you've ever seen uh, "Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia" by Sam Peckinpah. Uh, with Warren Oates, which is just basically, it's it, that to me is what true romance is. It's it's essentially uh, Tarantino trying to uh, remake Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia because it's essentially uh, a really seedy, down on his luck guy living in Mexico who is a piano player uh, finds out about this bounty on this guy Alfredo Garcia. Uh, and so he is essentially looking for his head and he's with his girlfriend and he's got these big giant glasses and it's them driving around being followed by the mob, etc. And it's literally true romance just without the drugs. Now, I remember mm. them marketing true romance very much as if it had, you know, it was a Tarantino film. Yeah. Well, that was fresh um, off Reservoir on Dogs. The back of Reservoir yeah. Dogs. Yeah. yeah, everyone was hungry for this, this Tarantino guy and they'd had to go like, what, a year or two? So, yeah, the idea that it was a Tarantino script, yeah. I think that, that it sold pretty much on that. Yeah. But, uh, it just, but that was really the first, because in Reservoir Dogs, it's kind of there, but it, 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 it wasn't as noticeable. Uh, but when you get into True Romance, when they start dropping N-bombs all over the place... And it's like, and yeah. it's just, it's like this super repetitive, 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 and it just really becomes very uh, disjointed. It's like, what, the, dude? Why? What? Why? I've yeah, I definitely let's let's put a pin in that one because I've got like serious opinions on that with Pulp Fiction where mm-hmm. it gets out of yeah. hand. Well, not even uh, Pulp Fiction, but, but I, even even later. Yeah, but I mean, especially Pulp Fiction. But um, 
I just just like one one last thing the cast of True Romance I think that's that's where you really <laughs> actors love Tarantino's writing for them and I think that's why you know Gary Oldman Christopher Walken Dennis Hopper sound so fucking good yeah. reading his I stuff. forgot about Oldman like, as uh, Drexel it's, it's kind of but yeah it's kind of like um um uh what's his name the Glen Gary Glen Ross guy um, Baldwin Mamet Mamet. It's like David Mamet. You read his stuff on paper and it makes just about no sense. You put it in the hands of capable actors and it sounds like fire. <laughs> I, I, I think as long as someone can edit Tarantino and say, okay, okay, you can stop now. This German officer has been talking to this farmer for 10 goddamn minutes. Stop. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he, yeah, as long as you can cut it down, it's interesting. But this is the thing I read is when, when he did Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, he was working with uh, Roger Avery, who like his mm. writing partner and then later Avery would go on to do Killing Zoe which is very much in the Reservoir Dogsy sort of vein not as good yeah um, but you can kind of see a very distinct demarcation between what Tarantino did up to Pulp Fiction and then everything that has come after it's almost like Avery was sort of his uh, better angel I guess you could say and so all of yeah. the the really uh, impulsive, indulgent choices that Tarantino could have made in Pulp Fiction or what have you uh, were not, and you could sense that he would, he might have been chomping the bit by what comes later. But everything that has come since right. has just has been this ridiculous, over elaborate, uh, wet dream for people that are into grindhouse cinema. And it's just, and I think Avery yeah. was his sort of. Uh, breaking mechanism on that sort of impulse, and I think that's why. Pulp Fiction is probably his strongest film overall, uh, just in in terms of tone and, and everything, and it's what he's going to be known for. Yeah. Well, let's jump into that one then, because I know when we were talking about theft, Pulp Fiction is the one that I really squirm yeah. at, not just because of all the things he rips off, but the fact that he co-wrote the thing with somebody that he didn't credit. Yeah. And that's fucked no, up. Like, that that he came in. That he told the guy. He's like, "Look, no, I need this to be written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. I need this to be about me." It's like, "Fuck you, dude." Then write it yourself if you're so goddamn powerful, awesome. No, I thought uh, Avery got the yeah. Avery got the Oscar with him. They, all right, never mind. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, because <laughs> the thing doesn't say that. I believe it says written and directed by. Uh, written by Quentin Tarantino, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Oh, yeah. uh, wait, wait, no, I no, mean, no, it's he, uh, Avery got story credit. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. it's like he wrote yeah. the thing. He wrote the first draft. Yeah. That's that's messed up. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that the WGA would have, you know, crawled all over somebody for. But for whatever yeah. reason, these the, these were the new kids and they're making new which, rules. So which brings me to it. this quote because uh, I really think Tarantino is kind of a cocksucker overall because he's just so full of himself. Um but he actually said this, and I quote, I want to have more original screenplay Oscars than anybody who's ever lived. So much, I want to have one that four is enough. And do it within ten films, all right? So that when I die, they rename the original screenplay Oscar the Quentin. And everybody's down with that. Uh, Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, believe, I believe the big Sam Jackson scene where he's quoting the Bible is lifted from another movie. Well, and it's not even the real quote from the Bible. That's what gets me. No. <laughs> so no. it's and everybody's like all these cool kids are walking around quoting that and they're like, dude, it's not even the Bible. It's yeah. awesome. 
Hey, fun, fun little side fact. In uh, Captain America Civil War, uh, the fake grave of, um, uh, what's his name with the eye patch? Uh, uh, that Nick, Sam Jackson Nick Fury. Plays. Yeah, yeah, Nick Fury's fake grave has that uh, Bible yeah, quote yeah. on yeah. Uh, his grave. I saw that. Wah, wah. Um, Pulp Fiction, let's see, the whole thing was stabbing uh, uh, Uma in the heart with the... The, 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 the needle. The drug. Yeah, the, drugs. The, the adrenaline or whatever. <laughs> Taken from uh, a short film Martin Scorsese did, uh, and it's actually just the guy telling the story of that yeah. happening. Uh, all he did was dramatize it yeah. with acting. And then the uh, the, the briefcase um, with the light, that's uh, not only Repo Man, uh, but also yeah, but also Kiss Me Deadly, uh, a 1950s Mike Hammer movie, yeah. uh, which is Robert Aldrich, uh, and that's lifted pretty much wholesale. The bit in with, with Bruce Willis driving away, and then Ving Rhames is walking across the street, and then they stop and see each other, that's lifted shot for shot wholesale out of Psycho. Uh, so it's just peppered with this yeah. stuff. It's like, come on, man. And I know, like, the f- I, and my problem is, I have less of a problem with that than I do all of the style in this yeah. film with the lack of substance. I mean, you watch it, and it's like there's a lot visually going on. And if you were just watching, you know, music videos, you'd probably go, "This is the best music video I've yeah. ever seen." It's it's got lots of things going on that don't mean yeah. anything. But once you try and struck put it together, once you walk out of that whatever three hour long movie and go, "What did I just yeah. see?" I, I have such a hard time understanding what the fuck I just. Well, and it's through. and and his one of his film influences obviously is uh, Jean Luc Godard, uh, and yeah. that's Pulp Fiction is very much his ode to Breathless, I think, uh, in many respects mm-hmm. because it's it's a really slick, f- cool movie, but there's nothing there, uh, and so it's it's interesting to see him mm-hmm. not only take actual elements from films but also to call back to other in- influential films yeah. and kind of do do their yeah. their sort of vibe almost i think that's kind of my objection with you know overall with him is he hmm, okay we were talking about luc besson before and he was part of that whole le style movement in france where we don't really care about story structure uh as long as it looks good yeah. as long as stylistically it's awesome and in a way he kind of picked up on that and said see somebody's thought the same way i'm going to use this as my through line and the problem is it's a wrong school of thought you don't make a two-hour movie that doesn't go anywhere yeah unless you're quentin tarantino well yeah (laughs) i guess you can get away with it but you shouldn't you goddamn shouldn't so it's yeah so it's interesting i would argue that the dark knight works exactly like that yeah yeah the dark knight i think gets a lot of apologies because no one's ever seen a Batman movie like that before. Yeah. But when you really break it down, it, it's a lot of stuff that happens for no good it reason. Makes no goddamn no, sense. None. You can't. Yeah. None. And it's the beginning of the whole era of the caught on purpose uh, uh, plan. Yeah. And and I God, and I think why? for uh, for our our listener out there, uh, they can find our episode number two where Eric and I pretty much shit all over everything Batman, uh, and I, and we touched on that <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but but they they were making the argument about that movie that it's okay if you know from scene to scene it flows and it feels right even if it makes no sense. So I mean this this is a school of cinematic thought and mm, I guess it's been around a while. Yeah, I yeah. guess. But the 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 thing that again bothers me about uh, Pulp Fiction 
And it's the same thing with, with Reservoir Dogs. It's, it's his, his need to cast himself in roles. Uh, but yeah. in Pulp Fiction especially, it's like, why, why is this white dude in Reseda or wherever they are just dropping the N-bomb like it's no big deal? Okay, he thank needs you. to make yeah. scale. Because he it's, needs to get paid for being the director uh, and an actor. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Okay. But, okay, here's here's what's always fucked me up about that scene. Because m- the first thing is I'm watching it and I'm going, ew. And then I-, I-, I saw it in a theater and it was full of 20-something white guys laughing their yeah, asses yeah. off. I mean, they were laughing. Mm. And they weren't laughing like it was the funniest thing they'd ever said. They were laughing like, I fucking dare you to ask me what I'm laughing at. It's like, we're all in the same movie, dude. We know yeah. what you're laughing at. Yeah, but a white guy's up there and he's saying this to Sam Jackson, who's obviously not a white yeah. guy. And he's saying it and he's not kicking the crap out. That's so awesome how he could say that word and not get in trouble yeah, for and it. It's, I, that bugged me yeah, more than and anything. And then the fact that the guy who, quote unquote, wrote it is the one saying it it makes me wonder what's his statement what is he yeah, really and, and that's what i don't get like spike lee has issue with this uh already and he's on record and he basically is like i don't have a problem with using the n-word uh in a movie if it fits etc etc he's like but tarantino seems obsessed with it somehow yes and it's and it's yeah. in ev- it literally is in every single fucking movie he ever makes but you know what's on my mind right now it ain't the coffee in my kitchen it's the dead word in my garage. Oh, Jimmy, don't even worry about it. Well, no, 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 don't think about anything. I want to ask you a question. When you came pulling in here, did you notice a sign on the front of my house that said dead N-word. storage? Jimmy, you know I ain't seen no shit. Did you notice a sign in the front of my house that said dead N-word. storage? No, I didn't. You know why you didn't see that sign? Why? Because it ain't there, because storing dead N-word. ain't my fucking business. That's why. And if you watch, it's yeah. There's nothing wrong with the word. You watch Roots. That word gets dropped a yeah. lot more, but with with a historical purpose and also you know, uh, uh, it give, it delineates character, yeah. and it's about one of the most horrifying events in human history. So you know that no one has written that into there because they don't like black. People. <laughs> this one. You wonder yeah. what is his angle? Why is this in yeah. this movie at all? You you could have edited it out completely, and you'd still have a film. So it's just sort of hanging yeah. out there, Gr- gratuit- daring you to say gratuitous, something. as it were. Well, I, when you get to, I mean, moving this will be referencing something ahead. But when you get to his character in four rooms, right? He knows he's playing an asshole. It seems almost. I, I mean, is he playing the asshole because he wants to be an asshole? Is he playing the asshole because he is an asshole? Is he playing the asshole because he doesn't want to ask somebody else to be that big of an asshole on screen? I don't know. I think it's that. I think it's that he doesn't, he can't easily cast the asshole. <laughs> but, you know, at least in four rooms, I think that's why. It's like, who, who are you going to hire to play, you know, the schmucky guy? Yeah, but he but, was a Hollywood schmucky. Yeah. He was writing himself. Right? Yeah, essentially. So, yeah. And and he was he was still butt buddies with uh um 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 Bruce Willis, so that kind of made sense. <laughs> Do we have anything else about pulp fiction or before we move uh, on? Ah, just it It's yeah, not good. It's, it's, it's not it, good. It's not a good film at all. And and I'm I take issue with people who say it. Yeah, it's Hey, it brought back John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, right? Well, like well, it, it launched, it launched Sam Jackson. It launched him. Yeah. Uh but yeah. but yeah, it pulled Travolta away from the uh the talking baby movies uh which he almost succumbed to. Uh it launched Ving Rames. Yeah. So it's got, you know, reasonable. I mean, he's Tarantino has a knack yeah. for casting. I mean, there's no argument with that. 
uh, and he knows how to milk a good performance out of his actors, even if he can't pr- present one from himself. Uh, right. So, I mean, he... He knows how to make I- actors interesting. Yeah. He, you know, he doesn't necessarily know how to make them work long term yeah. uh, over the course of a whole film. Um, which is maybe why Pulp Fiction is remembered as well as it is because it's three short films. Yeah, and then he and then he kind of jumbles it up, but it just but it but it's also right. sort of the start because he's dropping n bombs, but there's also just weird undertones of of all this weird racism, like at the beginning of the gold watch sequence with Walken talking to the kid about the gold watch stuffed up the ass and whatever. But that starts right before Walken comes in and starts just casting all kinds of. Uh, nonsense about asian people and all the slurs you can come up with them the kid is watching clutch cargo on the tv which is one of the most racist cartoons of the era uh so i can never tell if it's a winky winky like well see everybody was racist then and blah 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 or if it's just literally he he just tying the two together and it's just and it makes no connection in his mind yeah and I, i in my in my mind it's that he was making some statement on race but it wasn't an articulated one. It was basically, I want to make a statement on race so people can think there's something going on here, and I'll let them figure out what, yeah. because I don't know. Yeah. So the thesis of this podcast is, Quentin Tarantino is a racist, and he needs to take Asian people's work and turn it into his own because he's superior. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Af- yeah. after, Natural Born, after Pulp Fiction, there was Natural Born Killers that he wrote. And and I think this is important. Also, in 1994, he had an uncredited uh, pass at the script for It's Pat. I think that's important. <laughs> that that wow. would have actually been an interesting movie, maybe, if he'd have done that, frankly. <laughs> yeah, so they, they yeah. actually, that that is known because of a Playboy magazine interview he gave yeah. uh, where they uh-huh. talk about that. Um, hey, guys, um, I, I, we're coming up on 50 minutes, and we've gotten, like, we haven't even gotten through the 90s. Uh, Speed round. I would su- I'd suggest one of two things. Uh, I'd like to stop recording and start another recording file just because I'm afraid of having an enormous file. Uh, and then we can continue or that's we can fair. do this in parts. No, I think that's a good idea because uploading these files is going to be a yeah. bitch. Good idea, okay. Eric. Okay, so we will stop now and take a break for a word from our sponsors. <laughs> Okay. All right. So we're back, and uh, while we were away, we were we were having really funny, interesting conversations without you. Yeah, you'll have to subscribe for the outtakes, bitches. <laughs> yeah. You have to subscribe by a certain date. For the <laughs> yeah, really. Or we'll just keep talking <laughs> about forward. Tarantino. <laughs> Quentin, uh, excuse me, Tarantino. That's what I should start calling him. I tar- I know there was a, an episode of Ellen where they were talking about Quentin Tarantino and she kept getting his name wrong. And I, I, I don't even know why I saw it. I don't know why it stuck in my head. But I always think of her saying, you mean Quinine Tarnatoni? And so every time somebody brings him up, I start going, Quinine Tarnatonatino? Quinatone It's all the same. Yeah. Ken Watanabe. So. Oh, never mind. That's, yeah. Asian, seriously. Um. 
Yeah, we took his name. So the uh, so Natural Born Killers is interesting because uh, I don't think he's really I don't think he's credited on the actual movie because they took his script and mangled it into whatever. Uh, and he's he was. But again, it was marketed with his name. Yeah, he was really yeah, bitter. I he think was he really wanted bitter. His name taken off. Yeah. Um. So that's the footnote there. But otherwise, I I don't like Natural Born Killers. Uh, it it just. It never stuck with me. I thought it was a little bit too over the top. Uh, I don't think it could be taken seriously. I no. like it. I like it as a p. I like it the way you like an '80s Stallone movie or a Schwarzenegger movie, which is you don't really like it, but you can't stop looking at it. You yeah, know? <sighs> yeah. I guess it's been so long since I I've like, watched it. So. I like the sitcom with uh, uh, Rodney Dangerfield uh, as the molesting father of um, who apparently ad libbed all his lines. So, yeah, what a well, dark. If you hire him, yeah, yeah, let him. What a dark fucker that is. <laughs> Wait, that's a thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, see it again. Yeah, yeah. He, he's. They they show her her home life and how the two of them met as a sitcom, a a oh, one camera right. sitcom. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it's really uncomfortable. I'm sorry, I thought you were talking about an actual sitcom with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> no, wouldn't that be something? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Natural yeah. born killers, natural born killers, natural born yeah. killers. That would be the theme. Song. I I also you know what it's also the beginning of uh, another theme in Tarantino films. Yeah, women who kick ass. There is something so satisfying about women kicking the living shit out of guys who have it coming. Except, uh, except it's the beginning. Uh, go well. Except that it's more like the "I spit on your grave" version of of feminism, where all of the women uh, simultaneously get the living shit kicked out of them. That's true, too, but I don't think they're tied together. I think that's more of, when you were watching a Tarantino film, anyone can die. Nobody is necessarily safe. And neither are the women, even if they're kicking the shit out of people. Yeah, yeah but, I actually I actually think that that's, you know, that's a pretty equal treatment of the characters. You know, Bruce Willis can get the shit kicked out of him in Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uma Thurman can get the shit kicked out of her in, in Kill Bill. It's all good. Yeah. yeah, beating women is fine. We're good with it. No, no, it's not people that. getting in fights. Uh, get hurt. I like you asshole. just you just love to pick. You just love to yeah, pick. I like the the scab that is Eric that I get to pick at. <laughs> but no, it 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 forever made me love Juliette Lewis. I wish there were so many more films with her just knocking the teeth out of people. I yeah. I had yeah, um, but I I like it for that. But then that's similar to because we were talking about true romance and. Uh, What's her name? Arquette. Patricia Arquette. Patricia Arquette. And there's a scene with her and uh, Gandolfini in the hotel room uh, where she ends up just beating the living shit out of him uh, with every manner of implement that she can find. Toilet yeah. lid, uh, hair, <laughs> hairspray fire, corkscrew, until she finally just blasts him 40 times with the shotgun. It was... Right. Uh, it was I, I, I can kind of see that as sort of a companion to the stuff he was doing for Natural Born Killers. So then he directs Four Rooms, or a segment from Four Rooms. Which is stolen from a uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Yeah. If you want to call it theft. I mean, I think they were so upfront about it. They were even talking about Alfred Hitchcock Presents. I think in that case, you got to go with, if not homage, then stealing, but saying you stole it. Yeah. I'm not sure, because it's not like he did anything original with it. Well, and it's also... The whole movie sucked. It wasn't just his segment. Yeah, and it's also... Yeah, yeah they were they were but, pretty much... It's Miramax's uh, director's corral and let's yeah. just let them all like Allison Anders who had done I can't remember what she did now but she was a big indie director uh, and, and what's his name 
Rockwell. I can't remember his name now because it's other, other equally forgettable indie. And then Robert Rodriguez, who was off of fresh off of Desperado. And that one was good. Yeah. That one I loved. Well, that it, one, I, 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 yeah, it was just, and it wasn't just good because of him. It was good because Antonio Banderas is yeah. freaking awesome as well. Yeah. He's so awesome. I will always pronounce shot, his name correctly. Remake of his own movie with the same name. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Which kind of leads into, because I don't really think we need to talk about Four Rooms. Uh, Agreed. Which leads into From Dust Till Dawn, which is a script that Tarantino wrote, directed by Robert Rodriguez, his filmic uh yeah. soulmate and then starring not only uh George Clooney but also Quentin Tarantino. And a interesting thing about how that got written. Um I can't remember the name of the guy, but he's a special effects artist. He's the one who did the ear in Reservoir Dogs. Okay. And Tarantino went to him to do the ear and he was like, "Look, we don't have, you know, we don't have a pot to piss in in terms of budget, but we need this." And the guy said, "I'll tell you what, I'll, you know, I, I'm I, either he did it for free or he did it at scale." But he said, "I'll do this for you, but then you have to, for me, make this vampire movie I've been working on." And so Tarantino rewrote the guy's vampire movie as From Dusk Till Dawn and got it made. Nice. And this so, one's a, and yeah. this one's a weird movie because it literally is uh, an abrupt tonal shift. Mm-hmm. And it's and it's two <laughs> movies. It's basically it's it's Gangsters on the Run, and it's a really taut sort of seventies ish thriller, which I dig. Yeah. I dig it up until they get to the place, and then suddenly it's vampires, and then it turns into they've just shit all over the previous forty minutes, yeah. and then it yeah. becomes the schlocky vampire. It's like, dude, how do you and go the from thing that? Is, I was yeah, and I was really into that first half. I got to say, I I loved where it was going. The whole scene with Clooney looking at the bed with the murdered woman and they just keep doing these flash cuts of blood and the look on Clooney's face, the oh fuck moment. I'm Mm -hmm. like, I want to, I want to see where this goes. And of course (laughs) they they didn't do it. Uh, In a way it's kind of like Grindhouse. You've got this one film that's got a completely different tone from the other and halfway through you jump tracks. Yeah. So now I, I gotta say, I really respect Robert Rodriguez as a filmmaker. He's he's more of a Roger Corman, right? Like he's just he's just kind of like we're just gonna make whatever the fuck we want with no money, mm. and if it's cheesy, it's cheesy, and I don't give a shit. We're making B movies. Let's rock. Yeah, and- yeah. But he's a lot less cynical than Corman. Corman was like, I honestly could give a shit less what you shoot as long as we get two to three sets of women's breasts and we have, you know, some explosion at some point and, and bring it in at under $10,000. Whereas yeah. Golan Rodrig- Globus was closer to Corman than Robert Rodriguez. And they both uh, launched the careers of several. Uh, yeah. Well, and also, yeah. and, okay. and from Dust Till Dawn uh, basically set Clooney up as a film star. Cause that was, mm-hmm. uh, he was transitioning away from ER. And the thing I like about his performance in that, uh, when it came out, he was still shooting ER and they were filming simultaneously, so he would leave the ER set, and then he would have to drive 150 miles or whatever it was to their sh- wherever they were shooting in the California desert, and then he would shoot that stuff, and then he would go back and do ER. So he was for like the, the whatever the extent of the shoot was, he was going back I and forth. Return of the Killer Tomatoes was what set George Clooney up as a film star. Well, if you want to get down to it, it was his uh, time on Facts of Life, but that's a whole mm. other podcast, the Clooney thing. <laughs> I'm Batman. Yeah, I'm Batman. <laughs> Uh, oh God. so yeah so Natural Born Killers all I can say about it is it's entertaining-ish but I really think it's a solid first 40 minutes and that 40 minutes is what I think sets up Kill Bill because it's the yeah. it's the same uh, Texas Lawman character if you will 
sort of set in all of the the flashback stuff in Kill Bill. So it's you can start seeing it's that that's the, the start of him borrowing mm-hmm. from himself to create this larger universe, I guess. It's the beginning it's the beginning of the Tarantino shared cinematic universe. <laughs> exactly. With the cop that's everywhere and Seymour Scagnetti well, that's, and but all that, of those but, references. Yeah, but that carries over from Reservoir Dogs because you've got uh, Vic Vega in Reservoir Dogs played by Michael Madsen and then you've got whatever Travolta's character Vega, Vince Vega. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. they're. No, so they're. I'm saying the yeah. shared universe yeah. starts once you start sharing it. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. So you can see the thread. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. before we get to Kill Bill, there's Jackie Brown. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. As an adaptation, I think. Have you ever read Rum Punch? Yeah, but he did not do Rum Punch. Let's be honest. But uh, no, no. That's what I'm saying. He adapted yeah. it. He didn't. He didn't redo the book. He took the book and made something out of it. Yeah. Which is really what he does best. Take something he's seen or well, read before and, and make it, it something and new. And it's interesting to me, Jackie Brown, because it's unlike anything in any of his other canon. Like th- This one stands out to me because it's, it's quieter. It's more character. Mm-hmm. There's actual character interaction. There's only four deaths. Uh, but there's still just a crap ton of N-bombs. And I think that's, again, because... It's an adaptation, and this time it was the book yeah. holding him to task. You yeah. can only do so much. You yeah. can't have aliens come out of the sky because this has to, at least this much, has to get done. Yeah. So it's. Do you think this movie was made for Pam Greer specifically? It, it that's a good element to it. Her and uh, Robert yeah. and Robert Forster uh, were his. I love hey, Robert Forster. He's so amazing in this, though. He got nominated for yeah. Academy Award, and it sucks that he didn't win because this is probably the best thing I've ever seen him do because he's so understated. It is amazing. Yeah. So yeah, and he's he's like, and he's the guy who's fawning after the girl, but not in a way where you wonder what the fuck she would see in him. Yeah, you know, he's he's a strong male character who doesn't get in her way. Yeah, and I love that. And she turns him on to the Delphonics, man. I didn't mean to blow yeah. your mind. See, that's the name. That, that's the name of the song. Little little reference there. See, this is what I, I, this is what Tarantino does. He infects you and starts making you do that shit. So I I love the opening with a hundred uh, across a hundred and twelve. Yeah, it's Street. like here I'm going to do my black exploitation movie and I'm going to use a theme from another black exploitation movie. Yeah. in my yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's he's, he's out and telling you this is what you're in for. Yeah, and, and but it's better and now because I, I did it. Yeah. Well, and plus it's the same opening shot to some other black PlayStation movie, it, and it's the same airport causeway with the yeah. the same background walking down. Uh, so not only does he take a song, but he also takes a shot. So that's another sort of callback thing, right? Uh, which I get. Which I get. I mean, he wants to be evocative, but at the same time, it's just you. You could have done that in a different way, um, but that wasn't really I'm- the point. I really think this is so hilarious because I'm. I, I swear we were on different sides of this fence way back then, weren't we? I mean, like I remember having these conversations with people going, "No, it's theft," and they're like, "No, it's a callback." And I'm not. I am. I'm. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay your argument. What I'm finding funny is that I'm making this argument. Yeah, I would have. I would have thought you'd have been more <laughs> vehemently uh, opposed to the whole oove, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, no, and I'm not. It's. And not, I, it's and I don't, I don't hate it. I just, it just, it's irksome to me, and I can't really invest what, in it yeah. anymore. What bothers me, uh, uh, you know, more and more about most of the things he does is not that. That's what used to bother me the most. What bothers me is the lack of any depth. You know, there, there's there's lots of style. There's not much in terms of depth. Jackie yeah. Brown works great structurally, 
But you do wonder, who are these people and why do I yeah. care? I, yeah. I kind of like not liking some of the characters, but like Robert De Niro is, you know, not doing anything because but, he doesn't really have to. Who, who, yeah. what, who is he playing? What is he doing? Who, who yeah. is this guy? He's just a big doofus. Yeah. yeah. But the thing that's funny though, is he does all the callbacks in the, so they're watching movie. Like he has a lot of characters that sit around and watch TV and watch movies and it's sort of that meta thing. So in Jackie yeah. Brown, uh, Bridget Fonda is sitting there watching uh, Dirty Mary and Crazy Larry with Peter Fonda. So that's yeah. a nice, like, wink, winky. But what kills yeah. me is that if you do that in true romance, and this may be because Tony Scott had something to do with it, but when they're sitting around watching movies, they're watching fucking Free Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a ton- totally different thing altogether. But that, that, that just struck me as funny uh, when, I, uh, when I recalled that. Yeah, best best scene of the movie, definitely, though, is... Uh, 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 here we go. AK-47, the very best there is. When you absolutely, positively got to kill every motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. Nothing gets between me and my AK. This here is the Chinese model. I get them for eight fifty. Right? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> That was amazing. And of course, and I know Brian isn't actually going to do anything with this. He's just going to let me hang there, but still, <laughs> it was good. We could just have someone go, rat, tat, 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 tat. Yeah. No, no. Oh, God. Power. If anybody has, like, access to a five-year-old, get the five-year-old to say, the AK-47, when you absolutely, positively have to kill every last motherfucker in the room, except no substitutes. All right. <laughs> so yeah so jackie brown overall i think it's uh interesting i think it's it's worth it just because it's tonally uh adventurous for tarantino i think he went out on a limb but the fact that it didn't do very well i think made him so butthurt like so intensely butthurt that he just reverted back to everything that really irritates me about him for everything he's done since hmm I can see that as it would the be another. Was, the next thing it, was Kill Bill. Yeah, six Which, years later. Six years later, yeah. he made people really wait. Yeah, and he and he calls Kill Bill one movie, but come on, dude, it's two movies. Don't pull this. The fifth film from Quentin Tarantino. That's not a glory. No, fuck you, dude. Kill Bill is two yeah. different movies. That just eh. he's he's a yeah. self marketing. P.T. Barnum, the f- fuck. Yeah, the, the first one is just an action movie, and the second one is just an action movie with a really great uh, bit of uh, uh, David Carradine at the end. Yeah. I, I love everything with David Carradine in the end. It almost makes it worth it. But not having been a fan of the Hong Kong or, you know, whatever he's referencing, because yeah. it's actually... The, the big one is uh, Lady Snowblood. That's pretty much shot for shot, the, uh, the snow fight with... Yeah, the what's your face from Charlie's Angels? Uh, I can't yeah. remember the name right now. Uh, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy Liu. Liu. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing is is lifted straight from a movie called Lady Snowblood. And there's a there's a character that's actually lifted from another movie, and they brought in one of the actors from that movie to play him. Well, he played two and I roles. Can't think of the character's name now. It's uh, Sonny Chiba. I thought. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is also he plays the the guy who makes the sword, and he makes yeah. he's the guy who's the master, and and the f- thing is the master has the same name yeah. as uh, uh, the characters Sonny Chiba played in all of those samurai movies. The idea being that he is a descendant. So I thought he was supposed to be the exact same character, but yeah, okay. well, they were sharing a universe. Yeah, 
Let me make sure it's Sonny Chiba. I think we have to go to Wikipedia for this because yeah. I think I think he was somebody else. But anyway, I heard somebody say the first volume is a is a Hong Kong movie and the second one is a western. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I completely buy into it, that. Well, it's it's sort of the the blending East West, but the the second one is sort of his sort of uh, tipping the toe in the Western pool because it's yeah. a lot of the the Western landscapes, and he does a lot of, uh, you know, Leone-esque sort of yeah. things. And it's, yeah, okay. so it's him the sort of... The face-off with Daryl Hannah is 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 straight up uh, spaghetti Western. Yeah. And the thing that kills me about that, too, is when Daryl Hannah's character dies in that after that trailer fight, like she gets shot or stung, like bit by the snake, whatever it was. And she gets both of her eyes ripped out. Yeah. She, well, she gets her other eye ripped that's out. That's what it rather. was. And so, she, and so she's flailing around on the floor, and that's basically him lifting uh, her death from Blade Runner to a T. Oh, man. Yeah. I never mm. thought of that. And, so it's just, and, it, and he peppers everything in like that. So when you see all the films that he's seen and you see him using them, uh, you're either a, a sycophantic fanboy that just gushes praise. Oh, I can't believe he did that. La, 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 la. And you love it, love it, love it. Or you're just sitting there going, you, you could have staged that and made it more interesting <laughs> and really owned it. But, you know, whatever, dude. Cool. Yay. Mm. So, yeah. again, that's my main <clears throat> problem with him. Hmm. And all, well, let me just like one other thing I love about Kill Bill is the use of Bernard Herrmann's soundtrack in the first one. I'm I am I, I, I am I am a, a Bernard Herrmann fanboy, and the fact that they pulled out um, was that the whistling oh, one. What is his name? Yeah, yeah, that's it. We can reference that. One. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've got the file. I got the sound file. I'll send it to you, Brian. Bam. What we're, while we're talking about sound in, in Kill Bill, though, um, in the the big fight scene with the crazy 88s, you know, the sound effects for the martial arts are very, very like seventies martial art film, you know, quality cartoony (laughs) almost. It's like he really went all the way with that, which I I could appreciate it. Yeah. In the same way I can officiate a fistful of yen. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he was he was doing genre. There's yeah. there's a, a, a I I I remember reading about the making of uh, Death Proof, and uh, they were talking <laughs> about uh, I, 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 what's her name who was in Clerks, um, and 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 Rent. Uh, God damn it, I cannot oh, remember and, her name. Anyway, oh never mind. Wait, but Clerks anyway, and she, Rent. Yeah, she was in. Well, she was in this. She was in the stage. Oh production. oh, the she's in all of the Marvel shows now. Uh, yeah yeah well yeah yeah her uh but she was she was talking about uh yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stammer for another five minutes with my 46 year old brain (laughs) trying to think of this bullshit i'm moving on to a point i've got a script and i am moving to the end um no she was talking thank you rosario dawson was talking about the scene where they take the car and they leave their friend and it's very obvious that her their her friend is going to get all kinds of raped and uh, she had said she wanted uh, Quentin to let her throw, you know, the girl like some keys or some things so that we, she had the possibility of escape. And he had told her, look, this is genre. This is what would have happened in this kind of film. You know, <laughs> we've, it's, it's not, it's not like you're a, you know, necessarily a, your character is not necessarily a bad person. She's just trapped in this kind of film. That's what happens in these kinds of films. Yeah. And so when you look at Kill Bill and the uh, you know, the murder fest that is that, or any of these genre of his 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 
uh, macaroni combat, his spaghetti western, his horror film, any of them, he's really sort of sticking to the rules of genre, whatever yeah. genre he's working in. And he hates uh, Death Proof, by the way. Really? Yeah, he's he's been on record as, as saying that he wish he would have uh, actually shown up and made a film. So mm. even the master hates that one. Yeah. Which is it. funny, because again, I, I don't like the first half. It's too dark, it's too long, it, it drags its feet. But the second half with uh, Kurt Russell you know, getting his ass handed to him is yeah. just wonderful. And Zoe Bell uh, uh, you know, clinging to the front of that car. Yeah, I had fun. I don't, honestly, I don't remember it very well. I saw it once and that was enough. Yeah. Uh, I don't really watch Grindhouse. It's not really my thing. I enjoy some of them when I see them, but I don't seek them out. It's just not my genre. Yeah. So when I see these homages, tributes, whatever, uh, I don't really get all gushy for it because it's basically just spending $60 million to make a trash movie. That just seems kind of odd to me. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that's all his doing. You know, let's, let's, let's reference the shit that's no longer... Uh, meaningful, yeah. And let's 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 celebrate it. Yeah. But there, there yeah, okay. There's one film um, from that. I'll just I'll, I'll, because you brought it up called Hell Ride. You've got to go check this movie out. It is so balls crazy stupid. It is. Um, <laughs> it, 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 what's his name? Larry Bishop. It's Larry Bishop's biker movie, uh, and Tarantino produced it. Uh, it was basic. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Larry Bishop is the guy in Kill Bill Volume 2 who runs the um, the strip club that Michael Madsen works at. Somebody shit all over the toilet bowl. You need to go mop it up, that guy. Okay. And mm-hmm. I guess Tarantino had said, you've got to make a biker film. <laughs> and so he said, uh, okay. And so he made this movie, Hell Ride. It's, it's, it's so in- unabashedly stupid. And you cannot stop watching it. It is so fucking amazing. And this is the kind of grindhouse film that I love because there's just no apology for how bad it is. It, so bad it's good, I think, is really sort of framed around this kind of thing. Go find it. Seek it out. Watch it. Get back to me. Quentin Tarantino presents Hell Ride, Written and directed by Larry Bishop. Okay. Okay. So then we get all the way to Inglorious Bastards in 2009. Uh, don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, just to decide, because this remind, because we're going to get into some uh, some more of his self-referentially things uh, and how mm-hmm. he how he remakes stuff. This is what I had sort of had an epiphany while we were sort of prepping for this over the last two weeks. Uh, so Tarantino has gone on record as saying that one of his favorite films ever is. Uh, the Howard Hawks movie Rio Bravo from like 1959, I guess. It's a Western classic, John Wayne. It's a really good movie. Yeah. It's when, when Dean Martin was actually making an attempt to be a serious actor right after he and Jerry Lewis broke up. Uh, right. So it was like that five or six year period where Dean Martin actually acted and then he's just started doing all that ridiculous bullshit. Um, so it's it's a really solid movie. But the, the funny thing about Rio Bravo, and this is something that Tarantino has been on record saying that, that he'll show it to women on first dates and whether or not they like it is whether or not he's going to try and see him again. <laughs> Good man. Uh, Good man. So, I like anyone who has the right test. Yeah, so, so there's that. But here's the funny thing. That's, I, have, I have a first date one where, like, if they don't touch my penis, uh, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, then you're in it for the long haul. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> then I'll keep working them until they touch my penis. Yeah. Yes, that is my test. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, so but the the, the not th- anymore. I'm married. Yeah. My my wife might get mad at that. Yeah, or not. Yeah, so, so no one touches your penis anymore is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the the funny thing about Rio Bravo though, and this is what struck me is na- naming that repeatedly in other in interviews across the board as one of your influences in your favorite movie is the fact that it's Howard Hawks made Rio Bravo in 1959 and then in like 1963 he remade his own movie and called it El Dorado cast it yeah. with John Wayne same screenwriter Lee Brackett but then he recast some of the other roles uh, so Dean Martin wasn't in it it was uh, I can't remember right now but so it's the Isn't James Caan in that too. I think no, James Caan. Yeah, we'll get to that. James Caan is in the third one that he remade. So basically, ah. Howard Hawks remade Rio Bravo twice within like a twelve-year period. Uh, so he made Rio Bravo, then he made uh, El Dorado, and then he made Rio Lobo. And I think Rio Lobo is the one with uh, I can't remember who was the James Caan character. So James Caan is in El Dorado. Uh, so to me, that's telling that Tarantino idolizes a movie by a director who remade it three times <laughs> in a 12-year period. Uh, I think that just speaks volumes to me about where, Tar- where Tarantino is coming from uh, as a filmmaker. So I'm just going to throw that out there and just, you know, we can just drop it. But that just, that just struck me as weird when I had that epiphany over the last week. Mm. So, Inglorious Bastards is one of those movies that everyone said I should have seen, and I just didn't bother. And I've, that's going to be true of every Tarantino movie from here on in. Um, people are like, "Oh, yeah, of course you've seen it," and I'm like, "No, I don't care at yeah. all." Again, structurally, don't care. Performances out of this world. Uh, Brad Pitt has got a speech in that. My name is Lieutenant Aldo Rain, and I will listen to that. <laughs> Anytime I have a second, if I, I, I don't care where I am. I got to listen to the Aldo Rain speech again. It's fucking great. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I sure as hell didn't come down from the goddamn Smoky Mountains, cross 5,000 mile of water, find my way through half of Sicily, and jump out of a fucking aeroplane to teach the Nazis lessons in humanity. Nazi ain't got no humanity. They're the foot soldiers of a Jew-hating, mass-murdering maniac, and they need to be destroyed. That's why any and every some bitch we find wearing a Nazi uniform, they're gonna die. But yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a, an overlong, and the only reason it's an alternate World War II story is because they actually kill Hitler in the end. Uh, it's it's I don't know, it's it's got great violence, it's all that. But it again, you walk out of it going, "What the hell did I just see?" Yeah, well, it's a pastiche again. But the thing that I read, the critique, one of the critiques I read, and again, I think it's just people giving uh, maybe more credit to Tarantino than he's probably deserving of. But the whole thing was that there's that movie within a movie, which is the propaganda piece of the soldier killing all of the allies, and he's applauded right. for it. And then the climax of Inglorious Bastards is them killing everybody in the movie theater uh, while they're watching the movie about the soldier killing all the people with the movie, and then they're just <laughs> shooting everybody in the theater after they've already set everybody on fire and it's just this compound, compound, compound. And so the, the thesis was that Tarantino was making a statement on how media manipulates and dulls us to the violence that we're seeing and cheering. Uh, so it's like became this weird Byzantine snake eating its own tail sort of commentary 
Uh, right. But I think that gives him way more credit than he's probably worth because I think he was yeah, just I think trying. He just to, wanted to double kill people. Yeah, I think he was just trying to to really just go nuts on a crazy climax and kill everybody, including right. Hitler. So. Yeah, but I again, if you're gonna if you're gonna kill that many people that many horrible ways, do it to Nazis. <laughs> I mean. I think he, I think that's pretty much the thing. You can do whatever you want to Nazis. Yeah. You Well, that's, they're 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 such horrible people. They're Nazis. Well, you know, it, you can do that kind of thing to those. But he, and, he, and he parlays that over into Django and Chain where he's basically killing just yep. just insufferable racists. Yeah. So it's and, so it, on one level and it's I, think I get the, it. I'm thinking, I think that's another like through line is that he figured out I can commit any horrible amount of violence to anyone as long as I establish how bad they are. Yeah. You know, we can we can do anything violence wise as long as it's justified and that's why he goes full tilt anti slavery full tilt anti nazi full tilt any anti anything we all know already is bad like there's a, there's like hundreds of people dying in kill bill who didn't do anything wrong they just you know had the wrong job they're they're henchmen you know they're 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 yakuza gangsters <sighs> well yeah so like the but just like it's in uh, the crazy 88s or whatever, right? Like, they're just, you know... Yeah, they're just kids trying to make a buck. Well, that's the thing. He didn't start moralizing yet. I think once you get into Inglorious Bastards, it's like, okay, I need to now take a position against something we all already hate. Nazis. Yeah. You know? And let's not... I need to take a position against yeah. something else we all understand is horrible. Slavery. Well, it's like, you know, I'm going to now make a movie about something we all already love. Puppies. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not, it's not really a stretch yeah. in any way. You're not really teaching anybody yeah. anything. But, but one of two things here on the Inglorious Bastards. Number one, it's, he, he stole the title and the basic plot from another Grindhouse movie. So That's so he, not a theft. So he's keeping with that. Uh, but number two... This is kind of the the middle part where he's now in his stretch of uh, vengeful loners going after whoever done them wrong kind of thing, and that's yeah. pretty much Kill Bill. That's Inglorious Bastards with the girl going after Lanza. Uh, that's Shoshana. Yeah, and that's Django Unchained. Uh, I haven't seen Hateful Eight, so I can't really mm. speak to that. But he's basically been st- stuck in this loop uh, for the yeah. at least those three films. And yeah. that's where it got kind of tedious for me as well. It's so he's got all these ideas, but he's hanging them all on the same mm. fucking thing. But again, he doesn't really. I, I, he is given such a backseat to structure in favor of style, and yeah. it hurts him. You know, yeah. he, I, and honestly, I don't know what a well-structured Quentin Tarantino story would look like. It's it's like I, I I honestly believe with this whole thing of his that I'm only going to make ten films and then I'm going to res- you know retire, which is utter bullshit. He's trying. Yeah, it's, it is. But I, I believe he's trying to basically hit every uh, uh, genre he can before he's done a Western. Well, he's, he's are, done a spaghetti Western. Yeah. He's done a, a macaroni combat. He's done a horror film. He's done uh, a, a martial arts film. He's yeah. done an adaptation. Oh, do we get a sci-fi film and a screwball comedy? I think that's that. Yeah, I don't think he'll ever do uh, sci-fi, but he is now uh, already signed to do a uh, Manson Murders movie. Yeah. So the screwball comedy might be there. Yeah, but here's the thing: is that when I read was uh, ostensibly based off of his treatment for Kill Bill Three. So oh, no, yeah. So oh no, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> so yeah. Again, I I just I have a hard time getting excited about it. So yeah, yeah. 
So do we have anything to say about Django Unchained or The Hateful Eight? Uh, that was a very large penis. Well, the thing with Django Unchained, disregarding what? Eric's wonderful <laughs> Wait, statement. What? He had a, he, <laughs> he's had, they're hanging him upside today. down naked, and they, they show for several seconds this you know, ginormous penis of his. And <laughs> God. I remember watching it so, going, so, so here, why am I watching this? For, from my perspective, having not seen the movie, J- Django, spelled D-J-A-N-G-O, is a, a web framework for the language Python. So, yeah, but just- it's but it's also a Corbucci spaghetti western from the late 60s. Yeah. Uh, and the guy who played Django in that is in this. Yeah. As a walk-on part in yeah. the uh, so, wrestling scene. So, it's, it's all, again, just a... An idea that but there you've got to know that's an intentional reference. I yeah. mean, when you've got yeah. the fucker who was in Django, yeah. in Django Unchained, yeah. So it's uh, I don't know. Okay, I, but and the, again, but the, again, it's another it's another thing with Tarantino. I just want to say the whole halfway point where things fall apart. Django Unchained. I was I was all I was all in. I was loving this movie right up until the moment the word Mississippi flew across the screen, like halfway through, like Gone with and the Wind. This yeah, and then this thing t- just came to a grinding halt. Yeah. Everything right up to that moment, I'm like, yeah, go, this thing is clicking. And now... Well, well so in keeping with that, this podcast is like a Tarantino film, and that the first half was far more interesting than what's going on now. <laughs> we, oh, come on. You, real, you really think an hour ago we were interesting? Uh, when we weren't <laughs> talking so on... Now. Yeah, when we weren't recording, we were way more interesting. We really were. It's kind uh, of sad. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing that gets me about Django and Chain, like everything, basically, uh, post Jackie Brown and even Jackie Brown, but he just he doesn't know when to fucking stop. It's like at some point he's going to make a five-hour movie, and people mm. are going to lap it up. It's just it's what I feel like it's going to happen. You know, that's the same thing about Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. He had the same producer yeah, yeah. right up to I think Lolita, um, but after that one, his producer left him, and he just started doing his movies himself. Yeah. And he had no governor, and that's how you end up with Barry Lydon. You know, it's just <laughs> no, no one there to say stop. Yeah, rein it in. There's a, there's a similar anecdote about George Lucas's wife being the reason why um, Star Wars went to shit in uh, starting in Return of the Jedi once she was gone. Uh, George was was unleashed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that speaks volumes. That speaks volumes. And Uh, Carrie Fisher was leashed. Yeah, but Django Unchained. I don't have anything to really comment on because I saw it once a couple of years ago, and I don't remember anything except how just appalled I was by it. I think he Mm. he went for the shock value, and congratulations, you, you got it, buddy. I just I didn't find anything redeeming about it at all. I felt that it was just. It was all just designed to shock. Yeah. And again, it fell asleep halfway through. Yeah. And he won the fucking Oscar for best original screenplay on that thing. That's what's appalling yeah. to me. It's just... Yeah. Uh, so he's got two now. So he's halfway to his yeah. goal. Um, so, yeah. so yeah. And Hateful Eight, I didn't even see. Uh, Hateful Eight, I did see. I, did, I saw it on the road show. I saw it when they were touring the 70 millimeter print. Yeah. Well, here's, okay. here's what I want to ask you on that point, And then you can... Give us your thoughts. Why yeah. why bother to go to all the trouble to film in 70 millimeter and tout it as 70 millimeter, et cetera, et cetera, when the only way that you're going to use 70 millimeter is in a claustrophobic room where you're doing extreme close-ups of actors' faces in 70 millimeter? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was thinking the same thing. This is less of a... Uh 
my wife and I were both talking about it afterwards that this isn't a Western. This is a parlor drama. No. This is a parlor mystery. They're they're all in <laughs> yeah. the room yeah. trying to figure out who the murderer is. And it's actually... I, 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 it was nominated for an Academy Award for Cinematography. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was and, the 70 million. Yeah, it's claustrophobic. It is It is claustrophobic. I. The only reason I can think of to shoot it all like that is he wanted it to look like a an epic Western of the 60s because... Yeah. Django Unchained wasn't a Western. It was a spaghetti Western. Hateful yeah. Eight is a an actual Western. Yeah. I got Complete you. with intermission. Um, yeah, yeah. The Ennio Morricone not, wrote the score, yeah, for yeah. God's sakes. Which, yeah. and, and this is the flow through that, because this was the other thing I had been uh, reading about it. Uh, one reviewer, and I have no idea where I read this, but was astute enough to point out that Hateful Eight was essentially Quentin Tarantino remaking the thing as a Western. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's a science fiction movie. Then maybe who knows? Maybe. Uh, but yeah, it, all I can say is it was not bad. It, it, it just, it, I think it was his attempt to get away from Flash to to actually write something. I appreciated it for that. For once, it had more to do with the the characters than yeah style. Wasn't he was he was he was restricted he, like, from going to style canceled canceled the whole movie because the script leaked yeah. that was the one yeah because he didn't want anybody copying his script <laughs> irony yeah it was basically everyone knew the story before he shot it and so why bother but then he decided to go with it anyway and yeah yeah and the other big thing about that one too is that somebody outed him afterwards uh on the script because apparently that whole story and plot that he did for a flight is actually based on some sixties Western show episode. <laughs> so, uh, so even, even his most auspicious Western extravaganza is fucking ripped off of something else that nobody's yeah. ever seen. So it's just like, come on, dude. Yeah. So <laughs> go figure. All right. So any closing thoughts? Uh, I did. He, so we, I think we've established he has never done anything original. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's, that's even, that's not even a laugh. That's true. There's <laughs> nothing about anything he's done no. that is original. No, uh, nothing. I appreciate it for that still. I have learned to appreciate Quentin Tarantino's oeuvre <laughs> as being cut and pasted from other things. But yeah, I don't know what it would look like if he ever sat down to a blank sheet of paper and just made something up yeah. without thinking of something else. Well, and he has said, and I quote, I steal from every movie ever made. Great artists steal. They don't do homages disdainfully. He said, oh, well, then fuck him. Yeah. So he's I'm calling him homages. And if he's going to throw it back in my <laughs> yeah. face, well, then yeah, yeah. fuck you, dude. Because he doesn't care about you. <laughs> 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 oh, you broke my heart. But which leads me into a, a little thing I wanted to to do as a closer. Uh if you guys are game. Uh, I wanted to play a little mm. game uh called Who Said It? Games. 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 <laughs> well, wow, it's like we're a real podcast now. Yeah. I wanted to play a little Well, he did this he did this on I think uh the Bond of the Batman one and I was like, yeah. "God damn it, you really put some thought into this shit." Let's do yeah. it. Which I really didn't. I just stole it from somebody else. So, the name of no, this no. game that you're an artist then. Yeah, thank you for recognizing. Boy. This wow, that's so meta. <laughs> this game is called Who Said It? Quentin Tarantino or Hitler? Uh, All right. So I'm going to give you a quote, and then you, you get to tell me who you think said it. Do we have to, like, buzz in, or how do we do this? Uh, if Yeah, sure. You'll have to. What do you want? You no. want to say buzz? 
No, that's terrible. Just <laughs> I, I, alternate why between us or something. You could you yeah. could just come in afterwards and put in a buzzing sound. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe there's some. How do you think I've spent on this shit? Yeah. No. Maybe there's a maybe there's a, a game show or movie we could lift the sound from and yeah. reference. Um. So here we go. I'll just give you a couple. Uh. I don't believe in elitism. I don't think the audience is this dumb person lower than me. I am the audience. Uh, <laughs> I love that we can't put it together. <laughs> uh, I have a, I, I have a guess. Go ahead. I think that's Hitler. Tarantino. I'm going to say it's Hitler. Brian, Brian is correct. Tarantino. Okay. Tarantino. Uh, another one. Uh, la, la, la. I always do an all-night horror marathon on Saturdays where we start at 7 and go until 5 in the morning. Definitely Hitler. Yeah. I'm going to say Hitler. Yeah, yeah. That, one, that one's Hitler. Really? I was joking. <laughs> no, of course not. It's not Hitler. Come on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think we know for sure that Hitler didn't say that, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That would, I will contend yeah. he probably could have. Well, uh, it did strike me a that... Lot of, Horror it, movies. <laughs> it did strike me as something that Hitler would maybe say in the bunker while he was high on Benzedrine. Um, the gag here is these are going to all be Tarantino quotes that just possibly could be attributed <laughs> to Hitler. I'm not going to tell you that, no. <laughs> um, and then I actually think one of my strengths is my storytelling. That's Hitler. Hitler. <laughs> that's Hitler, right? That's Hitler. No, that's Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino oh. is Hitler. <laughs> I just basically tried to find quotes that sounded like Hitler, but really could oh, be... Oh, I, I called you out. Yeah, okay. it could be any douchebag on the planet. Uh, <laughs> but this is the one that I wanted to recite to you guys, because uh, based on our previous episode uh, about aggressive banality in American cinema, uh, Quentin Tarantino actually said this. I don't really consider myself an American filmmaker like, say, Ron Howard might be considered an American filmmaker. If I'm doing something and it seems to me to be reminiscent of an Italian giallo, I'm going to do it like an Italian giallo. <laughs> so he actually compared himself and, somewhat to Ron Howard. And Which is funny because Ron Howard seems to be better at appropriating <laughs> genres. Exactly. Because he doesn't mess with all the glitzy shit. He just does it. But what you're, what you're saying also is that Hitler did not say that. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm implying. And you were inferring. Okay. Because I'm on, I'm on Hitler's Wikipedia page, and if I find that on here, I'm calling you out, dude. <laughs> Go ahead. Because initially, initially uh, the game I was going to set I'm up was... Hitler's blog. Yeah. yeah. Mine blog. <laughs> Mine. <laughs> initially, I was going to call it, uh, uh, who said it, Quentin Tarantino or Jesus. But honestly, whenever I was reading his quotes, I'm like, it sounds more like Hitler, frankly. So I went with that. So uh, not our strongest moment, but I just thought it was a funny idea that crashed and burned. Okay. At the risk of appearing to talk nonsense, I tell you that the National Socialist Movement will go on for one thousand years. <laughs> oh, that's totally Tarantino. <laughs> yep, that's Quentin Tarantino. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he did that on a press junket for Django Unchained. Don't forget how people laughed at me 15 years ago when I declared that one day I would govern Germany. 
that's Trump. that's yeah. actually Donald Trump. Yeah. That's yeah. Donald Trump. That no, a lot of people don't know that's Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> but you see, what they laugh now yeah. just as foolishly when I declare that I shall remain in power. Yeah, that's Donald Trump. Yeah. Now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. And then lastly, I would like to just share this mostly with Eric because uh, I'm not sure Brian's uh, stance on 9/11 uh, humor. <laughs> but this is what Tarantino said after 9-11 when they asked him about it and I guess this was right after ish uh, he said it didn't affect me because there's a Hong Kong action movie called Purple Storm and they work in a whole big thing in the plot that they blow up a skyscraper <laughs> that, was, huh. that was his reaction to 9-11 <laughs> I saw it in a movie wow. so hey it's cool whatever that is that is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. There's actually, I'm sorry. There's a story about pigeons and uh, these pigeons that would oh, get God. eaten by this cat, and the cat would uh, uh, jump out at the pigeons, and the pigeons would fly away. But one day, the cat figured out, you know what? If I paint myself purple and go blink, 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 it will confuse them, and it did. Every time he did this to a pigeon, the pigeon would go, huh? And then the cat would eat the pigeon. But one day there was a pigeon storyteller and he started telling this story that he made up about a cat that would paint himself purple and go blip, 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 blip. And he told it to all the pigeons and they were all entertained by the story. One day the cat tries to jump out on a pigeon doing this who had heard the other pigeon story. And so because he had heard the story, he was inoculated from the weirdness of this trap and he ends up pecking the cat to death. So the moral of the story is by learning from fiction, you, it can inoculate you from the the shocks of reality. <laughs> well, okay then. So that my my re- response to all of this is on uh, in the days following nine eleven, they had Tom Clancy on the news, and they were saying, <laughs> "No, no, this is true." And they were they were talking to him like, "This like seems like something out of a Tom Clancy novel," and I'm like, "You're goddamn right, it does. It's the last chapter." Of the book where Jack Ryan becomes president, uh, executive without remorse. orders. Wait, no, not without remorse. No, it was, with, the, it was executive the orders. I, oh, oh, yeah. no, okay. no, it was, no, I'm sorry. It was, uh, it might have been without, I don't know. It's the one where Jack Ryan becomes president. Because the last chapter of the book, it was the, the, fuck, it was the one with Japan, actually, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any, anyway, we got to do Tom Clancy, apparently. But. He wrote the the book, and in the book, they're they're having a joint session of Congress, and and our bad guy crashes his jumbo jet into Congress, killing like the whole Supreme Court and the president and the vice president and like half the Congress, and that's how Jack Ryan becomes president in the Tom Clancy books. And Tom Clancy has the balls to get on fucking TV and say, "No, this isn't anything like my books. I could never have imagined anything like this. You motherfucker, you wrote this thing years ago." Anyway. That was my reaction to Tom Clancy. <laughs> that sounds like something Hitler would say. Yeah. You know what? In fact, honestly, I, I believe 9-11 was inspired by King Ralph. <laughs> they just hated it that much? Well. No, it's just everybody died at once. I'm just saying that the, the Clancy thing and King Ralph, never mind. Well, i leave you with uh, one final Tarantino quote, which is, you name any horrific thing, I can make a joke out of it. And there you have it. That. That that was actually Hitler. <laughs> yeah, you got me. Alright, All right, everybody, like, share, and subscribe. You can reach us at MagHuge on Twitter, Facebook, Magnificently Huge. You can email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. 
Uh, send us a carrier pigeon. I don't give a shit. Please make it stop. And if you've got ideas, I'm serious. We'll fucking do it. We will do whatever ideas you have. Yeah. We are that open to hearing ideas. Because obviously we are bankrupt for ideas. Not entirely, but God damn it, I want to do something people actually want to hear instead yeah. of what I think I want to hear, you know. Yeah. Yeah, fire away. Sweet. Well, thanks for the powwow. Is that it? Yeah, we've, we've beaten this to death. <laughs>